This audio is presented by Hacker Noon, where anyone can learn anything about any technology. Heat Transfer by Babcock & Wilcox Company Steam, its generation and use by Babcock & Wilcox Company, is part of the Hacker Noon book series. You can jump to any chapter in this book here. Heat T-R-A-N-S-F-E-R-H-E-A-T Transfer The rate at which heat is transmitted from a hot gas to a cooler metal surface over which the gas is flowing has been the subject of a great deal of investigation both from the experimental and theoretical side. A more or less complete explanation of this process is necessary for a detailed analysis of the performance of steam boilers. Such information at the present is almost entirely lacking and for this reason a boiler, as a physical piece of apparatus, is not as well understood as it might be. This, however, has had little effect in its practical development and it is hardly possible that a more complete understanding of the phenomena discussed will have any radical effect on the present design. The amount of heat that is transferred across any surface is usually expressed as a product, of which one factor is the slope or linear rate of change in temperature and the other is the amount of heat transferred per unit's difference in temperature in unit's length. In Fourier's analytical theory of the conduction of heat, this second factor is taken as a constant and is called the conductivity of the substance. Following this practice, the amount of heat absorbed by any surface from a hot gas is usually expressed as a product of the difference in temperature between the gas and the absorbing surface into a factor which is commonly designated the transfer rate. There has been considerable looseness in the writings of even the best authors as to the way in which the gas temperature difference is to be measured. If the gas varies in temperature across the section of the channel through which it is assumed to flow, and most of them seem to consider that this would be the case, there are two mean gas temperatures, one the mean of the actual temperatures at any time across the section, and the other the mean temperature of the entire volume of the gas passing such a section in any given time. Since the velocity of flow will of a certainty vary across the section, this second mean temperature, which is one tacitly assumed in most instances, may vary materially from the first. The two mean temperatures are only approximately equal when the actual temperature measured across the section is very nearly a constant. In what follows it will be assumed that the mean temperature measured in the second way is referred to. In English units the temperature difference is expressed in Fahrenheit degrees and the transfer rate in Bt. U. S per hour per square foot of surface. Pekla, who seems to have been one of the first to consider this subject analytically, assumed that the transfer rate was constant and independent both of the temperature differences and the velocity of the gas over the surface. Rankin, on the other hand, assumed that the transfer rate, while independent of the velocity of the gas, was proportional to the temperature difference, and expressed the total amount of heat absorbed as proportional to the square of the difference in temperature. Neither of these assumptions has any warrant in either theory or experiment and they are only valuable in so far as their use determine formulae that fit experimental results. Of the two, Rankin's assumption seems to lead to formulae that more nearly represent actual conditions. It has been quite fully developed by William Kent in his Steam Boiler Economy. Professor Osborne Reynolds, in a short paper reprinted in volume I of his scientific papers, suggests that the transfer rate is proportional to the product of the density and velocity of the gas and it is Toby assumed that he had in mind the mean velocity, density and temperature over the section of the channel through which the gas was assumed to flow. Contrary to prevalent opinion, Professor Reynolds gave neither a valid experimental nor a theoretical explanation of his formula and the attempts that have been made since its first publication to establish it on any theoretical basis can hardly be considered of scientific value. Nevertheless, Reynolds' suggestion was really the starting point of the scientific investigation of this subject and while his formula cannot in any sense be held as completely expressing the facts, it is undoubtedly correct to a first approximation for small temperature difference see the additive constant, 
which in his paper he assumed as negligible, is giving a value. 83. Experimental determinations have been made during the last few years of the heat transfer rate in cylindrical tubes at comparatively low temperatures and small temperature differences. The results at different velocities have been plotted and an empirical formula determined expressing the transfer rate with the velocity as a factor. The exponent of the power of the velocity appearing in the formula, according to Reynolds, would be unity. The most probable value, however, deduced from most of the experiments makes it less than unity. After considering experiments of his own, as well as experiments of others, Dr. Wilhelm Nusselt, 84, concludes that the evidence supports the following formulae. If the unit of time for the velocity is made the hour, and in the place of the product of the velocity and density is written its equivalent, the weight of gas flowing per hour divided by the area of the tube, this equation becomes where the quantities are in the units mentioned, or, since the constants are absolute constants, in English units, A is the transfer rate in Bt. U. Per hour per square foot of surface per degree difference in temperature. W is the weight in pounds of the gas flowing through the tube per hour. A is the area of the tube in square feet. D is the diameter of the tube in feet. Cp is the specific heat of the gas at constant pressure. Lambda is the conductivity of the gas at the mean temperature and pressure in Bt. U. Per hour per square foot of surface per degree Fahrenheit drop in temperature per foot. Lambda W is the conductivity of the steam at the temperature of the wall of the tube. The conductivities of air, carbonic acid gas and superheated steam, as affected by the temperature, in English units, are conductivity of air. O122, 1 plus. O0132T, conductivity of carbonic acid gas. 0076, 1 plus. O0229T, conductivity of superheated steam. O119, 1 plus. O0261T, where T is the temperature in degrees Fahrenheit. Nusselt's formulae can be taken as typical of the number of other formulae proposed by German, French and English writers. 85. Physical properties, in addition to the density, are introduced in the form of coefficients from a consideration of the physical dimensions of the various units and of the theoretical formulae that are supposed to govern the flow of the gas in the transfer of heat. All assume that the correct method of representing the heat transfer rate is by the use of one term, which seems to be unwarranted and probably has been adopted on account of the convenience in working up the results by plotting them logarithmically. This was the method Professor Reynolds used in determining his equation for the loss in head in fluids flowing through cylindrical pipes and it is now known that the derived equation cannot be consigned read as anything more than an empirical formula. It, therefore, is well for anyone considering this subject to understand at the outset that the formulae discussed are only of an empirical nature and applicable to limited ranges of temperature under the conditions approximately the same as those surrounding the experiments from which the constants of the formula were determined. It is not probable that the subject of heat transfer in boilers will ever be on any other than an experimental basis until the mathematical expression connecting the quantity of fluid which will flow through a channel of anisection under a given head has been found and some explanation of its derivation obtained. Taking the simplest possible section, namely, a circle, it is found that at low velocities the loss of head is directly proportional to the velocity and the fluid flows in straight streamlines or the motion is direct. This motion is in exact accordance with the theoretical equations of the motion of a viscous fluid and constitutes almost a direct proof that the fundamental assumptions on which these equations are based are correct. When, however, the velocity exceeds a value which is determinable for any size of tube, the director streamline motion breaks down and is replaced by an eddy or mixing flow. In this flow the head loss by friction is approximately, although not exactly, proportional to the square of the velocity. No explanation of this has ever been found in spite of the fact that the subject has been treated by the best mathematicians and physicists for years back. 
it is to be assumed that the heat transferred during the mixing flow would be at a much higher rate than with the direct or streamlined flow, and Professors Croker and Clement, 86, have demonstrated that this is true, the increase in the transfer being so marked as to enable them to determine the point of critical velocity from observing the rise in temperature of water flowing through a tube surrounded by a steam jacket. The formulae given apply only to a mixing flow and inasmuch as, from what has just been stated, this form of motion does not exist from zero velocity upward, it follows that any expression for the heat transfer rate that would make its value zero when the velocity is zero, can hardly be correct. Below the critical velocity, the transfer rate seems to be little affected by change in velocity and Nusselt, 87, in another paper which mathematically treats the direct or streamlined flow, concludes that, while it is approximately constant as far as the velocity is concerned in a straight cylindrical tube, it would vary from point to point of the tube, growing less as the surface passed over increased. It should further be noted that no account in any of this experimental work has been taken of radiation of heat from the gas. Since the common gases absorb very little radiant heat at ordinary temperatures, it has been assumed that they radiate very little at any temperature. This may or may not be true, but certainly a visible flame must radiate as well as absorb heat. However this radiation may occur, since it would be a volume phenomenon rather than a surface phenomenon it would be considered somewhat differently from ordinary radiation. It might apply as increasing the conductivity of the gas which, however independent of radiation, is known to increase with the temperature. It is, therefore, to be expected that at high temperatures the rate of transfer will be greater than at low temperatures. The experimental determinations of transfer rates at high temperatures are lacking. Although comparatively nothing is known concerning the heat radiation from gases at high temperatures, there is no question that what a large proportion of the heat absorbed by a boiler is received direct as radiation from the furnace. Experiments show that the lower row of tubes of a Babcock and Wilcox boiler absorb heat at an average rate per square foot of surface between the first baffle and THE front headers equivalent to the evaporation of from 50 to 75 pounds of water from and at 212 degrees Fahrenheit per hour. Inasmuch as in these experiments no separation could be made between the heat absorbed by the bottom of the tube and that absorbed by the top, the average includes both maximum and minimum rates for those particular tubes and it is fair to assume that the portion of the tubes actually exposed to the furnace radiations absorb heat at a higher rate. Part of this heat was, of course absorbed by actual contact between the hot gases and the boiler heating surface. A large portion of it, however, must have been due to radiation. Whether this radiant heat came from the fire surface and THE brickwork and passed through the gases in the furnace with little or no absorption, or whether, on the other hand, the radiation were absorbed by the furnace gases and the heat received by the boiler was a secondary radiation from the gases themselves and at a rate corresponding to the actual gas temperature, is a question. If the radiations are direct, then the term, furnace temperature, as usually used has no scientific meaning, for obviously the temperature of the gas in the furnace would be entirely different from the radiation temperature, even were it possible to attach any significance to the term, radiation temperature, and it is not possible to do this unless the radiations are what are known as, full radiations, from a so-called, blackbody. If furnace radiation takes place in this manner, the indications of apyrometer placed in a furnace are hard to interpret and such temperature measurements can be of little value. If the furnace gases absorb the radiations from the fire and from the brickwork of the side walls and in their turn radiate heat to the boiler surface, it is scientifically correct to assume that the actual or sensible temperature of the gas would be measured by a pyrometer and THE amount of radiation could be calculated from this temperature by Stefanswaff, which is to the effect that the rate of radiation is proportional to the fourth power of the absolute temperature, using the constant with the resulting formula that has been determined from direct experiment and other phenomena. With this understanding of the matter, 
the radiations absorbed by a boiler can be taken as equal to that absorbed by a flat surface, covering the portion of the boiler tubes exposed to the furnace and at the temperature of the tube surface, when completely exposed on one side to the radiations from an atmosphere at the temperature in the furnace. With this assumption, if S1 is the area of the surface, T the absolute temperature of the furnace gases, T the absolute temperature of the tube surface of the boiler, the heat absorbed per hour measured in Bt. U. S is equal to in using this formula, or in any work connected with heat transfer, the external temperature of the boiler heating surface can be taken as that of saturated steam at the pressure under which the boiler is working, with an almost negligible error, since experiments have shown that with a surface clean internally, the external surface is only a few degrees hotter than the water in contact with the inner surface, even at the highest rates of evaporation. Further than this, it is not conceivable that in a modern boiler there can be much difference in the temperature of the boiler in the different parts, or much difference between the temperature of the water and the temperature of the steam in the drums which is in contact with it. If the total evaporation of a boiler measured in Bt, U, S per hour is represented by E, the furnace temperature by T1, the temperature of the gas leaving the boiler by T2, the weight of gas leaving the furnace and passing through the setting per hour by W, the specific heat of the gas by C, it follows from the fact that the total amount of heat absorbed is equal to the heat received from radiation plus the heat removed from the gases by cooling from the temperature T1 to the temperature T2, that this formula can be used for calculating the furnace temperature when E, T and T2 are known but it must be remembered that an assumption which is probably, in part at least, incorrect is implied in using it or in using any similar formula. Expressed in this way, however, it seems more rational than the one proposed a few years ago by Dr. Nicholson, 88, where, in place of the surface exposed to radiation, he uses the grate surface and assumes the furnace gas temperature is equal to the fire temperature. If the heat transfer rate is taken as independent of the gas temperature and the heat absorbed by an element of the surface in a given time is equated to the heat given out from the gas passing over this surface in the same time, a single integration gives where S is the area of surface passed over by the gases from the furnace to any point where the gas temperature T is measured, and the rate of heat transfer ISR. As written, this formula could be used for calculating the temperature of the gas at any point in the boiler setting. Gas temperatures, however, calculated in this way are not to be depended upon as it is known that the transfer rate is not independent of the temperature. Again, if the transfer rate is assumed as varying directly with the weight of the gases passing, which is Reynolds' suggestion, it is seen that the weight of the gases entirely disappears from the formula and as a consequence if the formula was correct, as long as the temperature of the gas entering the surface from the furnace was the same, the temperatures throughout the setting would be the same. This is known also to be incorrect. If, however, in place of T is written T2 and in place of S is written S, the entire surface of the boiler, and the formula is rearranged, it becomes. This formula can be considered as giving a way of calculating an average transfer rate. It has been used in this way for calculating the average transfer rate from boiler tests in which the capacity has varied from an evaporation of a little over 3 pounds per square foot of surface up to 15 pounds. When plotted against the gas weights, it was found that the points were almost exactly on a lean. This line, however, did not pass through the zero point but started at a point corresponding to approximately a transfer rate of 2. Checked out against many other tests, the straight line law seems to hold generally and this is true even though material changes are made in the method of calculating the furnace temperature. The inclination of the line, however, varied inversely as the average area for the passage of the gas through the boiler. If A is the average area between all the passes of the boiler, the heat transfer rate in Babcock and Wilcox type boilers with ordinary clean surfaces can be determined to a rather close approximation from the formula. 
The manner in which A appears in this formula is the same as it would appear a Nani formula in which the heat transfer rate was taken as depending upon the product of the velocity and the density of the gas jointly, since this product, as pointed out above, is equivalent to with A. Nusselt's experiments, as well as those of others, indicate that the ratio appears in the proper way. While the underlying principles from which the formula for this average transfer rate was determined are questionable and at best only approximately correct, it nevertheless follows that assuming the transfer rate is determined experimentally, the formula can be used in an inverse way for calculating the amount of surface required in a boiler for cooling the gases through a range of temperature covered by the experiments and it has been found that the results bear out this assumption. The practical application of the theory of heat transfer, as developed at present, seems consequently to rest on these last two formulae, which from their nature are more or less empirical. Through the range in the production of steam met within boilers now in service which in the marine type extends to the average evaporation of 12 to 15 pounds of water from and at 212 degrees Fahrenheit per square foot of surface, the constant 2 in the approximate formula for the average heat transfer rate constitutes quite a large proportion of the total. The comparative increase in the transfer rate due to a change in weight of the gases is not as great consequently as it would be if this constant were zero. For this reason, with the same temperature of the gases entering the boiler surface, there will be a gradual increase in the temperature of the gases leaving the surface as the velocity or weight of flow increases and the proportion of the heat contained in the gases entering the boiler which is absorbed by it is gradually reduced. It is, of course, possible that the weight of the gases could be increased to such an amount or the area for their passage through the boiler reduced by additional baffles until the constant term in the heat transfer formula would be relatively unimportant. Under such conditions, as pointed out previously, the final gas temperature would be unaffected by a further increase in the velocity of the flow in the fraction of the heat carried by the gases removed by the boiler would be constant. Actual tests of waste heat boilers in which the weight of gas per square foot of sectional area for its passage is many times more than in ordinary installations show, however, that this condition has not been attained and it will probably never be attained in any practical installation. It is for this reason that the conclusions of Dr. Nicholson in the paper referred to and of Messrs. Kreisinger and Ray in the pamphlet, The Transmission of Heat into Steam Boilers, published by the Department of the Interior in 1912, are not applicable without modification to boiler design. In superheaters the heat transfer is effected in two different stages. The first transfer is from the hot gas to the metal of the superheater tube and the second transfer is from the metal of the tube to the steam on the inside. There is, theoretically, an intermediate stage in the transfer of the heat from the outside to the inside surface of the tube. The conductivity of steel is sufficient, however, to keep the temperatures of the two sides of the tube very nearly equal to each other so that the effect of the transfer in the tube itself can be neglected. The transfer from the hot gas to the metal of the tube takes place in the same way as with the boiler tubes proper, regard being paid to the temperature of the tube which increases as the steam is heated. The transfer from the inside surface of the tube to the steam is the inverse of the process of the transfer of the heat on the outside and seems to follow the same laws. The transfer rate, therefore, will increase with the velocity of the steam through the tube. For this reason, internal cores are quite often used in superheaters and actually result in an increase in the amount of superheat obtained from a given surface. The average transfer rate in superheaters based in a difference in mean temperature between the gas on the outside of the tubes and the steam on the inside of the tubes as if R is the transfer rate from the gas to the tube and R the rate from the tube to the steam, and is always less than either R or R. This rate is usually greater than the average transfer rate for the boiler as computed in the way outlined in the preceding paragraphs. Since, however, steam cannot, under any imagined set of conditions, take up more heat from a tube than would water at the same average temperature, 
This fact supports the contention made that the actual transfer rate in a boiler must increase quite rapidly with the temperatures. The actual transfer rates in superheaters are affected by so many conditions that it has not so far been possible to evolve any formula of practical value. About Hacker Noon book series, we bring you the most important technical, scientific, and insightful public domain books. This book is part of the public domain. Babcock and Wilcox Company, 2007. Steam, its generation and use. Urbana, Illinois. Project Gutenberg. R-E-T-R-I-E-V-E-D-H-T-T-P-S colon slash slash Gutenberg. Org. Cash. EPUB. 22657. PG 22657 images. HTML This ebook is for the use of anyone anywhere at no cost and with almost no restrictions whatsoever. You may copy it, give it away or reuse it under the terms of the Project Gutenberg license included with this ebook or online atwww.gutenberg.org. Located at https colon slash slash www.gutenberg.org. Policy. License. HTML. Thank you for listening to this Hackernoon story, read by Artificial Intelligence. Visit hackernoon.com to read, write, learn and publish.